destroying us spiritually. How they're in many ways even destroying the, the, the future that we're leading into and closing many doors that, that, that we absolutely want to be open. But because we're not dealing with the elephant, the doors close later. And so what we have seen is great power. Not just to, to get together and to talk about how we all have problems, or not just to get together and talk about how, how tough life is. And I guess we, we, we could do that, but, but we, we do that to get to this point that we begin to see a solution to those problems. We, we begin to see the, the, the power that lies in confession. The power that lies when we come face to face with that sin in our life and there is a solution. There's something we can actually do about it. You know, when we think about the elephant in the room, for, for, for some people, it, it's, it's something that goes back many, many years in their life. Uh, and whether you're a teenager or you're an old-timer, I'm just telling you that I've talked to a lot of people, and when they talk about the struggles in their life, they'll, they'll start telling me about stuff that was 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago and, and older than I am years ago. And they'll talk about how they've been carrying this burden around with them everywhere that they go, this thing that happened, this time in their life. You know, for other folks, it's, it's something that it's just a, I don't know, maybe, maybe something that's been going on in, in your life for the last, maybe the last few months or the last few weeks. For, for a lot of folks, it's just that, that current reality, that current burden that, that we have, that we have w within our lives that, that's just overwhelming to us and, and, and that's, that, that, that's hurting us. For most of us, when we talk about the elephant in the room, there's probably a combination of all of those things. Probably a combination of some things we've been dragging around for a very long time, some things that we've been dealing with in, in our current life, and some things that even as we sit here in this church building this morning are a great weight on our heart and on our soul. They may be things that we have cried about in private. They're probably things that we... You know, we, we, we know that they have pulled us back. They, they, they've caused us to, to pull away from God. I can tell you as, the, as, a, as a preacher, one of the things that I found so frustrating is, is watching people's lives and, and seeing things happen, and things are going to happen in your life, okay? But seeing those things happen or seeing spiritual burdens and, and right in that moment where, where someone ought to be drawing closer to God, because they don't want to face the elephant, what happens is they start pulling back from God. And I, I could name names here at Forest Park, and you could name names in, in your home congregation, and the truth is, your name might be one of those that's named. Where we just pull away from God. Because there's this elephant, because there is this, this burden that, that, that is upon us. And, and so we, we, we come, you know, I guess the... I guess the, the, the verse that just came into my mind when I was thinking about facing the elephant, I, I, thought, about, I thought about Acts chapter 2, right? And, and before we get to verse 38, and, and he, he gives that, that great explanation to, to repent and be baptized, you, you, have, this, you have this cry that, that, that comes out there in verse 37, and you remember, 
that, that the people, are, they're coming face to face with this reality of their own sin. They're coming face to face with, with the fact that they have crucified the Messiah. And, and, and they cry out, what shall we do? And, and I want you to hear their voice. I don't just want you to hear the words. I want you to hear their voice. I want you to hear some desperation that's in the mind of someone who's coming face to face with the fact that I've got this huge problem. And this is overwhelming to me. And this is affecting me today. And it's going to affect me in the future. And I don't know what to do about it. So what do we do? What do we do when, 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 whenever we have made terrible mistakes and brought sin into our life? What do we do when, when we find ourselves walking on a path that's, that's running away from God? What, what do we do when, when we have these things that we know we, know we don't want to be in our life, but we are pretty sure we, we, that, that they are in our lives? And that's where I want us to know that in that moment, and only when you get to that moment... That God has a plan. God has a plan to deal with the thing that I can't deal with. You, 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 you ever tried to fix your own problems? You, you ever tried to fix your own life? You ever tried just to, just to grit your teeth and I'm going to fix this because I'm a man, right? Or I'm a lady, right? Sorry, some of the ladies looked at me like, what? So, but, but, but this moment, this moment where... I realize as hard as I try, as much as I want to fix this myself, I can't. And that elephant just keeps following me around everywhere I go. When you get right there, I want you to know that you're exactly where you need to be. When you get desperate, when you say, I don't know what to do, what shall we do? That's when we need to know that God has a plan. God has a plan to deal with your elephant and with my elephant, the ones that we've had in our past, and guys, the ones that we're going to have in our future. The psalmist would say in Psalm, in Psalm 103 and verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. God says, I can take it away. I have a plan to take it away. I have a plan to take that elephant that's ruining your life, that elephant that, that, that's wrecking your life, I have a plan to take that thing that it seems like nothing could, could, could deal with it, and I'm going to take it away. And I'm not just going to take it away. I'm not just going to act like it doesn't exist anymore. I'm going to remove it so far from you. It's as far as the east is from the west. That's what I'm going to do with your sin. That's what I'm going to do with, 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 this, with this thing that, that, that you're continuing to struggle with. I'm going to take it as far as the east is from the west. You, you, you ever been in a group and you've got this elephant that's following you around and, and this weighing you down and you know that somebody else knows about it? You, you, you ever had that situation? And, and, and maybe, and maybe you, you, you have been fearful, oh, they're going to bring it up. I, I'm, not, I'm not even, I'm not, I'm, listen, that's why people pull back a lot of times because they're terrified that somebody's going to bring it up because somebody knows about the things that I don't want anybody to know about. 
They know about it, and even if they don't say it, I know what that look means, and, and, and they're, they're just constantly judging me, and, they, and they, they're kicking me while I'm down, and they won't let me get up from this. And God says, that's not my plan. My plan is to take that thing that is wrecking your life and remove it as far as the east is from the west. That's my plan for dealing with your problem. Guys, are we interested in that? Isn't this at the very heart of the gospel, of the scheme of redemption that begins all the way there in the beginning and runs all throughout the Bible? The Bible's not, not just a book to help us sleep at night, guys. It's not just a book to give a preacher something, something to say for 30, 35 minutes. It's a book that has a, that has a message. It's a book that has a story about how you can deal with your problem that's bigger than you. It's about God's plan to save man, but to save you. And to save the person sitting next to you. And to deal with the things that we can't deal with, but that only he can and he is willing to deal with. You know, what, what, one, of, one of, I think one of the most profound verses in the Bible is found in the book of Hebrews. And, and in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, he's going, to, he, he's going to quote from the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said this is coming, right? This new covenant that everything is building towards in the Bible. It's coming. And, and he comes there to, to, to Hebrews chapter 10 and, and he, quotes, he quotes from Jeremiah. And he says, this is the covenant that I will make with them in those days. So he's saying, okay, this is the relationship that I want to have with you. That's what a covenant is. I will put my laws upon their heart, and upon their mind I will write them. And then he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Guys, when I think about all the elephants that have followed me around in my life, those are powerful words. When I think about all the sin that I've committed in my life, and you don't think about my sin, you think about your sin. Those are powerful words. God says, this is the relationship that I want to have with you, knowing full well everything that you've ever done, everything that you've ever said, everything that you've ever thought, does that, does that scare you or does that bring you comfort? God already knows. You're not going to fool him. He says, I know about you. And the one I have with you is one in which I will remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more. Because he has an answer. He has a solution to take our sin and remove it from us as far as the east is from the west. Now, this is Hebrews chapter 10, right? But right after Hebrews chapter 10, do you know what comes next? Hebrews chapter 11, right? Some of y'all are from Florida, but I didn't say if that's good or bad. I'm just saying. But right after Hebrews chapter 10 is Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11, it's what we call the great hall of faith, right? I mean, it's, it's the great chapter of the Bible where we have who's who of the great men of God throughout time. 
Men who had such faith in God. Men who did amazing things in the name of God because they believed in God. And I'm just, I'm just telling you that I don't think it's an accident that Hebrews chapter 11 comes right after Hebrews chapter, chapter 10. Because while we're going to notice all of the great things that go on in their lives, and they are great, right? I mean, if, if some of the things said about these great men and women of God could be said about us, I mean, wow, that ought to be a goal in our life. But I want us to think this morning about something that might be even more significant than what they did. Something that might be even more significant in, 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 what, in the praise that is lauded upon them as they acted out of their great faith. And I want us to think about what's not said. What's not said about these great men and women of faith who had incredible elephants that followed them around everywhere that they went. You, you know almost all of these characters. We could think about Noah, right? Noah, good guy or a bad guy? Yeah, he's just a good guy, right? I mean, Noah's amazing. God destroys the whole world except for Noah and his family. I mean, that's the type of faith we're talking about, right? And people say, you know, do you think the world today is as bad as it was in the days of Noah? Come on, look around you. I'm thinking I'm seeing more than eight people that, that love and serve the Lord, right? But I'm telling you, the whole world's wiped out. But Noah and his family are saved because of his righteousness. Noah goes on. Noah goes on to build an ark. He spends a hundred years. That's a project, Travis, right? Travis did our t-shirts, our web design, all that kind of stuff. That's a lot of time, but you didn't spend a hundred years on it, Right? He spends a hundred years building an ark with no power tools. I think I'm probably for that. Okay? With, I'm missing a finger. If y'all can't see in the back, that was a joke. But, but, but he, he spends a hundred years building this boat. That, that's not just a boat. It's a boat that's, gonna, that, that, that's all of the animals of the earth are going to fit upon. And it's going to be able to survive the, the, this global flood. I mean, it's just amazing when you think about what he did and the, and the, and, and, and the determination that, that he must have had. That's why he's in Hebrews chapter 11, right? Because he had such incredible faith. But those of you who have read your Bible know that... Did you know that when they got off of that boat, righteous man, godly man, when they got off of that boat, the very first thing that they did was praise God? And then they got, and, and, and then they got back to work cultivating the land and reestablishing their life and do you know that somewhere along in that process and in that timeline that this great man of faith got so drunk that he exposed himself to his own children? Did you know that's in your Bible? Now, now here's my question. Do you think that for, 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 for the rest of his life that that ever bothered Noah, godly man? I mean, it did happen, right? And it's going to be stuck up in his mind. Do, do, I always wonder, you know, do, do you think when he got together with his family for, for I don't know, if they had Thanksgiving, probably not at that point, but, but when, I'm sure they, sure they had family gatherings, right? Everybody had family gatherings? I always wonder if, if in the back of his mind is, man, I wonder if Shem's going to bring up that thing, and I really hope, you guys ever been nervous like that? I wonder if they remember that time. I mean, some of you guys who have, you know, you've, you were born and raised and you're still a part of the same congregation. And I know when, when I go back home, I'm, I mean, 
Because I say that those people don't know gospel preacher Wesley Hazel, right? They know 17-year-old smart-mouthed kid and that thing that I said in Bible class one time when I was like 17. And I'm not about to tell you what it is because it's kind of embarrassing, okay? That, I mean, that's who they know. That's who our preacher's going to be today, great? I'm, I'm like, man, I really hope they don't bring that thing up, okay? I just wonder if Noah ever wondered. Are people going to bring that up to me? And God says, I want to have a relationship with you where in your sins and your lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Because I want to take them and remove them from you as far as the east is from the west. You you think about somebody like Abraham, right? Father Abraham. Right? I mean, we're, we're singing the VBS songs. Yeah, you, you guys, I mean, he's the father of the faith. You read Romans and, I mean, he's, he, he's that great father, that spiritual father that we have. And, and Abraham, he, God said go. He didn't even know where he was going. He just went. Because that's what a godly man does. God said, I want you to go up. I want you to sacrifice your son on an altar. Right? And, and I love Hebrews because it kind of gives you an insight in Abraham's mind. Abraham says, well, I know that God said he's going to bless me through this child. And he said to kill him, so God must be going to raise him up. Right? I mean, that's the kind of faith I got. I don't never seen people resurrected, but I guess that's what God's going to do. I mean, Abraham is just a man of incredible faith. I'm just going to do what God said to do. Do, do you remember early on in, in Abraham's life when, when they were having trouble conceiving a child and they had these promises of God and there was that that frustration some of you guys know that that frustration of I want to have a child but but we're not we're just not being blessed with one and and so what what are we going to do and and so Abraham and Sarah that they, they come up with this idea what we're going to do Abraham you're going to go in and you're going to sleep you're going to sleep with Hagar my handmaiden and they have a child, and, that, and that's Ishmael, and that's a whole other story that goes down there. I'm just kind of curious, if, if that happens in your congregation, if one man goes in and sleeps with, another, with, with, with a woman who's not his wife, what, what, what do we call that? We call that adultery, right? Now, I mean, which one is it? Are we talking about father of the faith, or are we talking about adulterer? Do you know when, whenever they were traveling around and, and, and they, they were fearful of the people that, that, that they were meeting and, and, and they said, is this your wife? Now, fellas, I want you to think about your wife, okay? Is this your wife? You know what Abraham says? Well, it's my sister. Oh, and it's not, that's not a lie, guys, because it's kind of a half-truth. It's my sister. Can you imagine if your husband said that? And because he told that lie, you wound up being put in another man's harem of sorts. That's what the father of the faith did. Do you understand what I'm saying? That what might be even more impressive than what's not said about these, than what is said about them, is what's not said about them? Not speaking to their grandness, but speaking to God's grandness. He says, I want to have a relationship with you where in your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. Removing them as far as the east is from the west. You think about Sarah. And she's lauded for the great faith that she had in God. And, you know, she had this child at such an old age. But, but you've read Genesis. 
And you remember the first thing that she thought when she heard this plan that as an old woman she was going to have a child. She laughed at God. You know, some some of you were complimenting about yes weekend and all the details that are taken care of. But but so I don't know. As as a part of yes weekend, we always we have these planning meetings and and we'll get together and we'll talk about this detail and that detail and there'll be the youth committee and several others that 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 will be there. And can I tell you a whole lot of what goes on in those meetings? Okay, is is somebody saying something and then everybody looking at them saying that's the dumbest thing I ever heard, right? That's, that's what happens, and typically they're talking to me, and that makes me, I don't like that, but that's just, I'm just getting a little inside baseball right there, okay? But that, I mean, that, that's okay. If you want to say my ideas are dumb, or I want to say you're right, I mean, we, we, can, we can work with that. Sarah did that to God. God said, I got a plan. Not some crazy brainstorm. I'm talking about creator of the universe has a plan for your life. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. I mean, that makes me laugh out loud, LOL, right? I'm young, right? I'm 41, but I'm still a young adult, okay? I want that to be known from last night's lesson. I did not appreciate that. But, but this idea of what's somebody who laughs in the face of God doing in the hall of faith? If it's not a testimony to the God that we have who says, I know about your problems. I know about your elephants. And I'm telling you, I will remember them no more. When, when, when you're looking at your life and saying, I, just, I mean, I don't know if I could ever get over this. Listen, you can't. Only God can. We, we have to understand that. We have to understand that as we relate to each other to help others deal with those issues. There was a story that was told about a lady who was struggling in her life, and, and she went to a sister, and she said, I, she was confessing her sin and telling her all these things and things from her past, and, and she said, man, God will forgive you. And, and, they, and they prayed for God to forgive them, and they prayed for her strength, and and she said, I just I feel so much better. Thank you so much for helping me walk through these things and feeling like, like I have confidence in these things. And, and she went on about her life, and it was about, it was about two or three months later that, that she called up the same friend. And, and she told her, she said, she said I, I mean, you've been such a good friend to me, but I'm telling you, I'm still really struggling. And, and I know that, that last time that, that, that you prayed with me and we asked God to forgive me, that helped so much. And I'm, I, I'm just calling because I just want you to pray. I ask that you would pray for God to forgive me. And, and, her, friend t- and her friend told her, she said, she said, well, of course I'll pray for you. Right? I mean, I remember, we'll pray for God to give us wisdom and to, to give us strength and to do things that we wouldn't have otherwise. But, but I'm, I'm not going to pray for God to forgive you. She said, well, why not? Right? And I mean, she went from being kind of defeated, almost insulted. I mean, how can you tell someone you're not going to pray for God to forgive them? Right? And I'm obviously being here and I'm very penitent about these things. I'm not doing these things anymore. Why wouldn't you pray? And she said, well, I don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. The reason, I'm not, the reason I'm not willing to ask God to, to forgive you is because if we ask God to forgive you, He's not going to know what we're talking about. Because He's already forgiven you. And He's already, the Bible says, remember those things no more. Do we believe that or do we not? Do we believe that or do we think we have to carry those things around with us for the rest of our lives? And I know there are repercussions of sin and that's another lesson for another time. I'm talking about the burden of sin that we carry with us. Do we believe that or do we not? Do we, do, we, do we believe that people are either walking with God or not walking with God? See, too often we, we've created for other people this kind of area in the middle where you've been forgiven, but you're not really one of us yet. We'll, put, we'll put an asterisk by your name. I hate seeing asterisks by people's names. 
Okay, either they're in the body or they're not in the body. But we've done that to other people. I'm telling you, we, we do that to ourselves. We do that to ourselves. Because, because we, we want to, well, I'm right with God, but I'm still carrying this thing around with me. I can't, I can't forgive myself. Listen, this is God's plan. You, you think about Jacob. There is that beautiful picture in the life of Jacob where he is dying. And as he is dying, he is pointing his children towards God. And I don't know how I'll die, but listen, if the last thing I could ever do in my life was point my children towards God, that'd be a pretty great way to go, right? That's Jacob. But do you remember that before that was Jacob, that we read about Jacob and Esau, his brother? And, and there's that scene, and when we had time, we could really get into Jacob's life, but there's that scene where his father is dying, he's on his deathbed. I mean, he sees this old man, and he can't see very well, and he can't hear very well. Right? And so Jacob gets together with his own mother and they conspire to, to, trick, to trick his father and to steal his brother's birthright. I mean, Jacob, he, can't, he has to leave home because his brother's going to kill him. And I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not, not speaking symbolically, he's going to kill him. What, what, what would it be like if there was a, I don't know, maybe a member of your church and the institution in the church, maybe he was quite a, a wealthy individual and he's laying up in a hospital bed somewhere and, and he's just old and frail and, I mean, he gets confused real easily and, and one of his sons go, goes up there to South Georgia Medical Center and, and in the middle of the night, when everybody else is, is, is at home or they've gone to take care of business, in the middle of the night, he gets him to switch to change the will so that everything goes to him. Now, what would you say about somebody like that? I mean, that guy ain't much, is it? I don't know if I could say that up front, what, what I'd probably think about that guy. I mean, what a, what a low-down, good-for-nothing hero of the faith. Right? What in the world's that guy doing in the Hall of Faith? If it's not a reflection upon this God who says, in your sins and your lawless deeds, I will remember no more think about people like Moses, the law of Moses, the greatest leader that Israel ever saw. We still write books about Moses being a great leader of God's people. You know, there was a day in the life of Moses when he decided, I'm going to lead God's people. Right? He was about my age, probably full of vim and vigor, prime of life, 41 years old. Who needs that young adult stuff? Okay, 40, for about 40 years old, he said, I'm going to lead God's people. God has put me in this time and in this place for this reason, and I'm going to lead the Hebrew nation. You remember what happened? He stood up one day. The, the, these Egyptians were beating on his brethren. I'm going to take care of that because I'm a leader. And he killed a man. He killed a man. And I've done a lot of bad things. I never killed anybody has to bury that Egyptian in the sand, run away, be in hiding for the next 40 years. I often wonder what, what would go through his mind as he thought about what he did on that day. He didn't do that as a part of, as a part of the, 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 the armed services, right? He wasn't, he wasn't a part of some war machine. It was just one man killing another man, committing murder. What's he doing in the Hall of Faith? I mean, I, I would say a lot of good things about him. Boy, he sure has done a lot of good. He sure has changed. But I'm just telling you, when I look at him, I see a murderer. What's he doing there? 
What's he doing there? I, I remember um, a friend of mine, young people you won't remember, but several years ago there was a preacher's wife who shot her husband with a shotgun. Okay? She, she killed her husband, and I'm not going to get into all the politics of that, but, but it was a bad situation. But a few years later, she started going back to church, and a buddy of mine was preaching at this, this kind of a smaller church in Middle Tennessee, and, and he said she showed up for worship. And so there they are, and they're sitting there in, in, the, in this auditorium, and, and we're singing praises to God, and I don't know everything about everything and all the details, but I do know that less than a year ago, the woman that's singing praise to God right beside me shot her husband in the back with a shotgun. He said it was the greatest test of that, 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 that that congregation ever had of their faith. What do I do with that person, right? And there's a lot more to the story going, but what do you do with that person? What do you do with Moses who did the same thing? Put him in a hall of faith. Because we serve a God who says in your sins and your lawless deeds, I will remember no more. I'm going to take them and I'm going to remove them as far as the east is from the west. We could talk about the Israelites and how they did nothing but grumble. We could talk about Rahab. You remember what Rahab, what in the world? What, what was Rahab? And we, I mean, listen, I mean, we, we talked about some sexual sin this weekend and, and some issues that we have, and, but she was a prostitute. Like she was somebody who sold her body sexually for money, okay? That's why we call her Rahab the harlot. Rahab the hero of the faith. Which one is it? Listen, I'm telling you that God took Rahab the harlot and he made her into a hero of the faith. That's the God that we serve. If he can do that with Noah or with Abraham or with Moses, if he could do that with a, with a drunkard, if he could do that with a, with a lying, conniving, murdering, prostitution-committing person, do you think he can do something with me? Do I really believe that the relationship he wants to have with me is a relationship where he says, and your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more? I don't think it's an accident that the Bible tells us all about their elephants. God wants us to know. Can I tell you, that's one of the great, I think one of the great proofs that the Bible is not a book written by men. Okay? Because if a man writes a book and I want, I, want to, I want to put someone forth as an example of great faith. I ain't telling you about all the bad stuff, right? Just, I mean, I'm not, I ain't telling you all the bad stuff about me, okay? Because I'm a man. We don't, we, we, we don't like that. And there it is. I mean, like the worst of the worst things, the things that must have haunted them in, in, in their dreams. I'm not talking about people that were con continue to commit these things or embracing these things or bragging about these things. I, I don't think they looked at these things and said, boy, I sure am glad that there was that day that I got so drunk that I... I don't think... No, I think they understood their, what, what their sin was and they were ashamed of it. And God said, it's at that point where you are ashamed of your sin that I can do something with you. It's at that point when, when our elephant, when our sin is shining the brightest, that He shows us the power of faith. It's a God who says, I want to have a relationship with you. And this is, this is hard with people. But I want to have a relationship with you 
wherein your sins and your lawless deeds we will remember no more. I want to take them and remove them as far as the east is from the west. That's what I want to have with you. Can you, can you imagine with me for a minute? I want you to imagine that you find yourself in a room. And everybody can do this, but whether you're young or whether you're old. You know, one of those, one of those places where you're, you're kind of right in between being asleep, being awake, and you're not really one or the other, and it's just, you know, you're just kind of thinking in your mind. And, and, and you walk into this room, and the room is filled. It's just filled with files of, of index cards. It's, it's kind of strange, right? And, and you're trying to figure out, what, what, what is the deal with all this? And, and they just seem to go on forever. I mean, this room has got this wall that, I mean, it's from, from the ceiling all the way to the floor. And you look to the right and, and it goes just, I mean, as far to the right and as far to the left as you, as you can imagine. And I mean, this room is, is huge and it just seems to have no end. And, and you notice that on all of these files, that there's, there's something written. So you go and you take a, a closer look. And there, I mean, there, there are things written on this file. That, that there's, a, there's a little file box and it says, uh, sixth grade basketball season. And, and you, look, you, you look at another and it says, uh, time that I spent with my grandparents. You, you, you look at another, summer vacation 2014. The, 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 there's, a, there's another one. It says, uh, books that I have read, right? Uh, for my daughter, that'd be a really big box. For my son, shorter. Okay, so, but I mean, there, there, there are all of these boxes. Um, things that I have said to my brother. I mean, there's just all these really strange titles that you know, you're nervous about that, Bella, right? But, but I mean, that's, there's all of these things that are in this room. And, and on, on all of these little cards, there's, there's a memory that's written. And, but it, it's more than a memory because it's, it's much, much more detailed than you could actually remember in your mind. And at the bottom is your signature. And, and it's in your handwriting. And you don't really remember writing your signature on all of these cards. But there it is. And you know that that's your handwriting. That these things actually happened. And, you know, the, this room that all of us are in, it's like some sort of a, a crude a catalog system for, for our life. And, and you're not in my room and I'm not in your room, but, but, but you're there. And, and everything is here. Every action of, of, of my life, every movement, there's, there's big things, there, there's small things. There's detail that, that my memory could, could probably never match. And here it is. The room of my life, and I don't know, it's almost like when you get a little bit older, you'll go to your parents' house, probably a lot of you, and you'll find an old box that your, that your mother has up in the closet, and it's just filled with memories, right? And you sit there, and you just kind of go through it. Do you remember when? There's a, I'm, I go to my mom's house, there's some pictures that I grew when I was in like second, uh, grew. I drew when I was in like second grade, right? And like all of these memories that, that, that come back, there you are. I mean, so much more than a box in your mom's closet. There you are in the room that is the room of your life. I mean, how cool would that be? I mean, there's so many memories. And, and I mean, so many, so many joys and things that you had forgotten about. And, and as you're going through all of those boxes, you, you see another box. And, and it says, things that I have said in anger. And you see another, and they're just kind of 
dispersed throughout all these other boxes, things, things that I have mumbled under my breath. Now, now, wait a minute. This is not just a room where we go down, marching down memory lane. This is not just a record of my life. This room is some sort of a record of all of my life. This room is a record of all of the things that I'm so proud of, but there's some things in here that I'm not, I'm not overly proud of, of, of those things. There's a box that says, um, jokes that I have laughed at. Songs that I've listened to. I, I don't know what's in your box, right? I mean, only, only you know what, what's in your box, but you know that. Uh, videos that I have watched online. Probably there's a video of, of a cat dancing um, some, somewhere in there, but there's probably some other videos that are in that box too. There's a whole box that just says, lustful thoughts that I have had. And you keep looking around the room and all that joy, I mean, it just kind of turns into a, a sickness. You, you ever just kind of feel sick to your stomach? That I mean, this stuff that I don't think anybody knew about, and here it is, it's all been recorded. I mean, it's all been recorded back from, from the very beginning of my life. And some of our adults, this isn't just for teens, and you're, you're looking back and you're thinking, I mean, when I was 14 and when I was 18, and yeah, it's written there. It's written there. And your impulse is pretty natural impulse. i got to get rid of this stuff. I mean, nobody can ever see this, but you go and you, and you try to rip them up, right? You ever tried to hide the evidence, right? I, I have kids. I know sometimes you try to hide the evidence, but, but the, you can't tear the cards. They're like indestructible. You don't know what, what, what they're made of. And you have this idea. You see another box. People that I have talked to about Jesus. And it's almost, it's not what's written in that box that's so disturbing. Sometimes it's what's not written in that box that can be so difficult. Nobody can ever know that this room exists. we got to lock it up, and we got to hide it away, throw the key away, because nobody can ever know that this room exists. You, you, ever, you ever get nervous that somebody's going to find out your secrets? You ever get nervous of that? I mean, I'm seeing a lot of people looking at the floor right now. I, I think we probably all do. Oh, if they only knew what nobody else knows. It's terrifying. Nobody can see it. I don't want my buddy knowing about it. I certainly don't want my parents knowing about it. I don't want the people from church knowing about it. Nobody can know about this room. And, and, then, and then as you're looking at these boxes and trying to figure out what to do, you see them. I mean, you see him. You see the one person that if the one very last person that you want to know about this room, there he is right there with you, anybody but him. And you're standing in that room with Jesus. And we like to fool ourselves that he doesn't know, but the truth is he does know. More than any of us want to admit. And you watch as he starts to open up those files. And Jesus, the Son of God, sees that thing. He sees the elephant. 
He sees the elephant that you've been carrying for decades, and He sees the elephant that's sitting upon you at this very moment. And you just see a look of sorrow on His face. A sorrow that's, I mean, it's, you're sorry about these things, but His sorrow seems to be even deeper. And He just stands there and He cries. He weeps over your life. But He continues to look one by one. And you're helpless to do anything about it. And he goes over and he starts to do something with each of these cards that you don't want anyone in the world to see, especially not him. He begins to sign his name. Right there where it says, this is the memory, signed Wes Hazel, I did this. He begins to write over the top of your name, Jesus the Christ. And his name should not be on those cards. Because he didn't do that. Because he didn't say that. Because he didn't think that. You did it. You know that you did. But yet he keeps signing one by one by one. Written in that red that's so rich, so dark, so alive. The name of Jesus covers up my name. And it covers up your name. Because it's written with His blood. And it seems like an instant that He's done. He's done the last file and every, all, all of the cards have been signed and He walks back over to your side and He just puts His hand on your shoulder. As you sit in this room and He just says, It is finished. I want you to think about that. And you leave that room, but you don't lock the door. You don't lock the door because there are still cards waiting to be written. That's what our God does. That I can't do. That your parents can't do for you, that you can't even do for yourself. He comes and He says, I know all about it. I know all about it. And I want to have a relationship with you because I love you. I want to have a relationship with you where in your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no, no more. I want to take them and I want to remove them from you as far as the east is from the west. May we. May we let Him show us how to lay those burdens down because only He can show us that way. Thank you for listening. Think about these things. Pray about these things. Give Him glory as we praise Him this morning. Thank you.